We Saved You a Seat is sponsored by the Oklahoma Family Network. Oklahoma Family Network focuses on supporting families of children and youth with special health care needs and disabilities, as well as families who have children with a mental health or behavioral health diagnosis. Oklahoma Family Network provides families with emotional support, resource navigation, parent-to-parent engagement opportunities, and wants to ensure quality health care for all children and families by building strong and effective family professional partnerships. I, first of all, am so excited to get to have this conversation and hopefully many more conversations um, just about everything. I mean, I, I know you and I've kind of talked over texting and messaging and stuff and and truly it is just a situation that I want this to be a conversation between two moms, me getting to know you and Evan and your family and, you know, allowing me to share that with the world as we kind of explore the, I don't know, just the awareness and the, the supports and the conversations that are sometimes hard to have. So I yeah. don't know, what are your thoughts? No, that's exactly what I want to do. I, I think that a lot of times um, the world has been forced of not asking questions. Like you don't, when someone's going through a hard time, you're not supposed to ask like what's wrong or not to dig deeper in. And I think a lot of people want to, but they don't know how, because we've been taught like, don't ask, don't touch, don't see, don't look um, when something's different or when something's hard. It's like, don't put people that are in that hard spot feeling, they think that they're going to make them feel awkward or weird when like, this is my normal life. And like, it's weird not talking about it. So, um, and like, I've talked to parents too, who like, I'm going super deep real fast, but like, who've lost kids. And it's like, what's the hardest part? And it's like, not being able to talk about your kids anymore. Cause no one asks, cause it's a sad thing. And it's like, it doesn't have to be so sad. Like we can remember them and we can talk about them and it's okay to do that. But so society needs to learn that these things are okay. And it's not so voodoo and like shunned upon. So, yeah. Um, do, you, do you think people don't ask because they're concerned about you? Or do you think they don't ask because it's like they don't want to put themselves in an awkward position? What do you think? I think it's both. So I, I think, so in Evan, for instance, when Evan got diagnosed, fast forward, or rewind another year, my mother-in-law passed away. And it was, I was a caregiver for her and it was, everyone would ask me how she's doing. And it was, I was the, the buffer, the barrier from the family, even though I was part of the family at that point. And I think that it was, instead of asking other people, like asking my father-in-law, like, how's she doing? It was, it made me feel that they were just having that barrier of like, I'll tell them the truth, but like, I'll cushion it a little bit. But I also believe too, is if you're going to ask me, I'm going to tell you if you're, if you're bold enough to ask, like, I'm going to, I'm going to let you know. But I think with my mother-in-law and learning that from her about that, it was an elephant in the room. No one talked about it, though. It was bluntly obvious something was wrong. And with Evan, Evan got diagnosed at six months. And I remember telling Sam, like, we're doing this. Like, we're going to, I want everyone to ask about him. I don't want it to be the elephant in the room. I don't want it Lauren and Sam with the sick kid, Evan or the child that's gonna die. Like I want it to be, he's here. I want people to know him, love him, be a part of him. So when he does pass, it's not like this, well, we should have, or like we should have called more. We should have been there more. It's like, 
no, I'm giving you all the opportunities in the world to be a part of this. And if you don't want to, that's okay. I'm not holding that against you. This is hard, but like, it's not this walking on eggshells with me. Cause I don't want that. That's, this is my life. This is my kid. I want you to ask, but, and I know some people aren't like that, but I, I am. <laughs> yeah. Or, or to let the world know him, you know, I mean, I think, you know, let people who don't know him to know him. So ask those yeah. questions so that you do know him. Um, and so I, I love that. I love that piece. And also like life is hard, regardless of if you have a special needs child, if you have a child to begin with, if you can't get pregnant, like if you guys have been trying, life is just so hard wrapped around all of this and like even working and it's and like what I was taught was a struggle is a struggle, no matter what it looks like, they all suck. So whatever you're going through, whether it's your child having an ear infection or my child having a problem digesting, it doesn't matter. In your world, that's a struggle and it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good no matter what. So that gave me more perspective of saying like, I want to know about your kids. Don't shy away of telling me just because you think my life is hard. Like your kid walked today. Hallelujah. Like let's celebrate that because that's a milestone Evan won't make, but that shouldn't be compared to Evan. Like our conversation shouldn't be relied on how I'm going to feel when you tell me that your child's succeeding when my child can't. Like that's not, that's taken away from me too. That happiness, that joy when you're not being real with me, yet you want me to be real with you. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and I guess that was going to be kind of my next lead into it. My question is, you know, so so my kid has a stomach bug, you know, and now my world is just turned upside down because my whole family now is going to have the stomach bug. Um, but you know, sometimes I know in maybe your situation, um, families may feel like, oh well, I don't have the right to complain or I don't have the right to say anything about my kid having a stomach bug because. Um, we know what Lauren's going through and, and we would never want to impose our, our problems upon her. So what are your thoughts about that? So my thoughts are your child has a stomach bag. Welcome to my world. <laughs> like, <laughs> they, like it's, it happens and like nobody likes it. If we had the stomach bug, we'd be in the hospital. And like I say, stomach bugs suck. They suck. You don't sleep at night. Your child's throwing up. They're having diarrhea. You got to make sure that they're like, you're now that medical part of my life is now part of your life. And I can relate to you because your child doesn't feel good. Like, I, I think it's, I'm okay. I mean, and like I said, too, like I'm, I'm a mom though, who I've come to terms with Evan and I'm okay with where we're at. I have my faith in God and I push through of like really, truly being okay with whatever's going to come. And I know that I will never be ready, but like spiritually I am like whenever Evan's ready, like I'm, I think that's one of the reasons why I don't hold this grudge. I'm not mad at the world. I'm looking for joy. I'm the person being like, let's buy balloon. Let's do half birthdays. Birthday might not come. It doesn't matter. Let's just buy a cake. He can't eat it. That's fine. <laughs> like, well, I'll eat cake for him. Like I, I believe in Every child, not just special needs or terminally ill, should be celebrated. They're all great. They're miracles. We all are. And I think that it's one of those, my outlook on how I see things is different than it used to be. Yeah. I mean, I've grown so much. But I, I would want somebody to tell me, like, hey, Lauren, like, my kiddo has a stomach bug. What would you, what would you do? What would you suggest? I have the tools and I have this. Like I've been through there, I've, I've done this. 
I mean, maybe not the stomach bug. Knock on wood, that won't happen. But, <laughs> but I do know what that feels like. I know what it feels like when a child throws up and where can't keep something down. Like I have the tricks, the tools that might work. That's my, my thought is share. Share and then ask. Like ask like, if you're having a hard time, let me try to, I'm not gonna compare myself to you everyone's different, even though that's so hard not to do as a parent of like, oh, my child's doing this. Well, my child's not. Like, should my child be doing this? Is he behind? Like, what are the things that I need to be doing? Um, but with this journey, I've learned not to, Evan is Evan. And once every, all the kids started crawling was my wake up call of, okay, Evan's not going to do that. And that's okay because Evan now is on Evan's terms and we're just going to play off of his rule book because he doesn't apply here. And I think once I, and it's difficult, it's the grief of those expectations. Um, but once I learned like Evan's awesome, he's one cool kid and all the things he can do and all the things he's like super opinionated, which he gets that from his dad, not me. <laughs> he's very... <laughs> He, he'll tell you, if you, li like you listen with your eyes, he will tell you exactly what he wants. You just need to be willing to listen and ask the right questions. Wow. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, kind of before we get into what our topic is for today, I, I want to make sure everyone that has the opportunity to listen, that our goal is to maybe really make this into kind of a series where we can have really deep, good discussions about each individual topic that as we bring our conversations together, and I know the topics we've kind of discussed are, are not only your birth story, but um, the genetics process and how you were diagnosed, uh, G-tubes, surgeries, hospital stays. I know that we were going to have a, that as part of our discussion. And then the supports and the assistance like Sooner Care and Tefra and home health and nurses and all of those kind of things. And, and then of course, having a sibling and becoming a party of four and kind of the process that y'all went through to make those decisions and those hard decisions. And then I would love to integrate anything that you have to say about your faith and how you get through these days and, and all of that into each piece of this. So um, just, just kind of a foundation for our listeners that if we don't get to a topic in, de in depth today, we will get there. At least that's our goal. So. <laughs> So, and then do you, I mean, <laughs> other topics that you have, do you have other topics that you for sure want to add to that? I mean, what we have so far, I think is great. And I think once we start talking about things, other things will come in. I mean, they always do. They'll come in play of, of what's going on. And um, I think a lot of people, grief is, somebody asked me like how I live in daily grief. And I thought that was a really good topic too, of just every day being faced with this. So I'm really excited. I was going to say, we'll, we'll see where this takes us. Um, I think today, as we get started on this, I feel like you and I could have like four hour conversations. <laughs> so, um, but we do have a napping baby that we're going to take into consideration. And anyway, why don't we start today by you telling us about your family and a little bit about why, um, why you're here today, why you want to do the podcast. Tell us about Evan and maybe just a little bit of the diagnosis and and why you are a parent to a child with special needs. All right. My name is Lauren. I am a mom of two. Um, I have a five and a half year old and now almost a five month old. Um, my husband and I live in Oklahoma City and um, he's an oil and gas and I was a kindergarten teacher before becoming a mom. Um, the goal was 
to stay at home for a year with my kiddo and then go back to school and teach. And that has changed a little bit. So from when we first started, when we first got married, um, I've always wanted to be a mom. So of course my mom, my track of who I am, I was trying to figure out like all the steps that I needed to be in place, whether my husband was on board or not yet. Um, and I just knew um, early on that something was off. My body just didn't feel right. I went to an OB. They told me basically um, I was fine and just to start trying. And um, I didn't feel comfortable yet doing that. So I got ovulation kits. So I didn't want to put the pressure on like, okay, now we need to do it. Now we need to do it. Come on, let's do this. I wanted just to see like what my cycle was because I, like I said, something felt off. Um, I took months worth of, of the, I mean, I bought them off of Amazon and they're the ovulation kits and I was doing them all the time. I mean, I was using like a hundred of them. I was doing it every single day for months and never ovulated. So I went to um, a fertility specialist just to figure out why. He told me that whenever I wanted to get pregnant, we would do Clomid. So he never tested me, never did anything. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to go to somebody else. So we were living in Dallas. So I went somewhere else. He said the exact same thing. And I was thinking for myself, I never had a male OB before. And I thought maybe he would put the science behind it. And I feel like I was just being overlooked with them. So I went to another OB that happened to be around where we lived. And she was a fertility specialist. And she checked my blood for six months every 21 days of my cycle, and I only ovulated one time. And I didn't get pregnant that month. And she just told me, she, we did ultrasounds, blood work, all these things. And she just said with everything, what she's looking at was that I would probably have to do IVF to get pregnant. And when you have that thought in your head that you can't get pregnant on your own, or even with like small medications, it's like life shattering. Cause it's like the one thing as a woman, you, you, to be able to do is have a baby and breastfeed. And those are the two hardest things to ever do. And I think as a society and who we are as women, like growing up, you want to become a mom and all these things and what this is going to look like. And it's not even close to what you think it's going to be. It's emotional. It is physical draining. It's all these things. So she told me that we sat down, had a plan of that we were going to do um, three rounds of Clomid, two rounds of IUI, and then eventually we'll do IVF. Like the whole conversation was, these probably won't work. IVF's the goal. These probably, IUI probably won't work because you won't be ovulating. IVF is the goal. So she told me that it would be six months before I could even think about IVF. I had to go through these steps first. So I got Sam on board we did our first round of Clomid and got pregnant with Evan. And I was like, yeah, those, <laughs> I was shocked. I was like, when I let Sam read the results um, from a blood, blood work and it said we were pregnant and he just kind of sat there and I was like, what? And I like read it and I was like, oh my gosh. And it like hit, hit me because I really wanted to be a mom, but I, I mean, I was a teacher. I was very organized. <laughs> I was thinking six, sorry, six months to nine months, like, we would have time and now I'm pregnant. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, okay, we're doing this. Um, and I think that with all of that, it was kind of God's way of saying like, well, this is what you wanted, here you go. 
we moved back up to Oklahoma City. My mother-in-law passed away um, and we wanted to be closer to family. So we came back up, um, Evan was born. And when we moved, Sam's work told him that he could work from home in Oklahoma because that was his area and um, he works oil and gas. And we were up here maybe a month. So we just bought a house. Oil went from $120 a barrel to like 60. Um, and Sam was laid off. So we just bought a house. I'm due in like two weeks and Sam lost his job. So we thought the world was crumbling at that point. So we went through the whole motions of like figuring it all out. Evan came two weeks early. So we were like, oh, like, what do we do? Do we go on? Um, I remember them coming in and saying like, what insurance do you want to put your new baby on? And I was like, well, we don't have insurance. Like, I don't know what to do. And so the nurse said like, you can do sooner care. And we both were like, oh, no. like we didn't understand sooner care. So we we're like, no, no, we, we don't need sooner care. We'll, we'll get private insurance. We don't need state insurance. And she was like, it is in place for people like you, people who have lost their job or can't afford it. It's to get you on your feet. She's like, it's not long-term, we're just, just for now until you guys can get another job. So we got on senior care, which was the biggest blessing for us. Um, Sam started doing like consultant working, just like kind of keep us afloat. And we got to spend six months at home, family of three, every single day. It was amazing. We did walks, we did all the great things that most families don't get to do with their kids because someone, one or both parents are working. So, Six months go by, well, really two months go by, and I realize Evan's not holding his head up. He's not trying during tummy time. We would do 45 minutes. It was a mess. Fast forward, I, we go to the pediatrician. I'm like, something's wrong, something's wrong. He'd keep telling me nothing's wrong. Sam was saying, the doctor says nothing's wrong, nothing's wrong. And I'm like, gut feeling something awful is happening and no one's listening to me. And I mean, I was around kids all my life. I've always, like I said, I've always wanted to be a mom. I was a mother's helper, a babysitter. I was, a, I wanted to be around kids. Um, and four months came and we got our four month shots. And I was like, I think he has an ear infection. And it was a Saturday. So I brought him to like, um, like a, we call it a nurse's, like a doc in the box, but it's like the PAs and stuff. It's, um, and I remember sitting down with her and she just said, um, has, have you addressed his muscle tone with their pediatrician? And I said, I said, yes. And I said, and he's not listening to me. And she goes, when you go back in two weeks after all the antibiotics done, like make an appointment. If he doesn't listen to you, come back. We're going to find you a new pediatrician. And I thought, finally, somebody else sees it. I'm not crazy. Like it, my husband is listening to a doctor who keeps telling me I'm a first time mom. I don't know what I'm talking about. He's a boy. He'll catch up. They're telling me all the right things. And it's like, he wasn't looking for the zebra. He was looking for the horse. And he's like, until something really bad happens, nothing's wrong. And I just remember walking in and being like, you need to hold him. And he did. And we took him out of the room, which was the first time. And this is the first doctor's appointment I went to without Sam. And um, he comes back, puts his hand on my shoulder and says, you need to go see a neuro neurologist. And I said, well, what's wrong? She goes, he goes, we're just going to be really optimistic. 
And I was like, I've been telling, I've been in this doctor's office and it's not just like at two months and then at four months, I was in there every week. And I was like with fevers or breathing or something wrong. And I was like, you're never listening. You think that I'm, and I, I mean, I know that there, there are people out there that want not, there's not that many who are like, something's wrong with my baby, fix my baby. But it's like, if a mom's coming into you telling you something's wrong, at least prove to me that it's, that I'm making it up. Like, right. show me that he can't hold his head up. Show me that I'm like, like, see, see with your own eyes. Don't just tell me that he's fine. So I was really mad. So we see a neurologist who is amazing. She diagnoses him immediately. We get blood work back. Like, she knows what's wrong, but we get blood work back. Um, and I just remember sitting down. It, it was right when he turned five months. And so the first round of blood work came back. The nurse called, told me that everything was fine. We're waiting on the second one. Second one came back. Monday morning, we get a phone call at like 8.30 in the morning. And I was like, this can't be good. No one gets a good phone call right when everyone opens. And he goes, she just says, um, can you see the neurologist at the end of the day? And I was like, yep. And I hung up the phone and just was like, this is bad. We both knew. I was like, this is really bad. But my, this is bad, never, ever measured up to this was the worst thing that could possibly happen. I was thinking, okay, he's special needs. We'll do physical therapy, get him like, get a, um, a dietitian on board maybe get vitamins or medicine and he'll be fine. So we get the phone call. Sam and I talk all day long about how like, this is bad, but it, it could be worse. Like this is bad, but this is where it's going to go. Like she's just going to sit down and say, he has special needs. Like we can deal with this. We can deal with wheelchairs. We can deal with whatever is going to come. Like this is okay. We'll be okay. To sitting down in our office and I'm sitting crisscross on the examination table, feeding Evan a bottle. And um, it was April, her just having a piece of paper, a couple of pieces of paper, and she sat down. She says, I'm so sorry, Lauren. And I was like, What? And she's like, Evan has minkies. M E N K E S is a copper deficiency. And we both kind of looked at each other like, Okay, copper deficiency. Like, I've never heard of this. Okay, like, not not too bad. I said, okay, so can we check my breast milk? And she just looked at me and she goes, it doesn't work that way. She said, all your body is made up of these proteins. And for him, the protein that absorbs copper isn't working or isn't there. And I was like, okay. And she's like, what do you need for copper? And you, she's like, you don't need a lot of, a lot of it, but it's for um, your brain, your muscles, and... Um, like all the major functions of your body needs copper. So I was like, will you die from this? And she shook her head, yes. And I said, how long? Evan was six months old and she told me three years. And I was like, what the? I mean, I was just like, oh my gosh, three years? Like, so you're telling me I have two and a half years left with my son and I'm feeding him a bottle. Like he's, he's here. Like I, what? Like, this isn't happening. And I remember crying, looking at my husband and just my heart broke because my husband had just lost his mom a year ago. And it was like, we were still healing from that. And now I'm going to come in and say, oh yeah, by the way, your son is also going to die. 
I was just like, I mean, my feelings went out the door. Like I didn't even think about him. All I thought about was my husband and like how this is going to affect him. How is this going to affect his, like his family? And I just remember like sitting there and we just cried because it was, what do you do? Like, I don't know what to do. Um, and then I remember leaving the doctor's office, going to my father-in-law's house and we're waiting for him. And my, I call my parents while we're waiting and, um, my parents are very optimistic people, but my dad's been diagnosed with a rare autoimmune disorder. So he kind of under, he gets it, like he gets hard. And, um, I remember calling him and being like, where's mom? And she's like, he's in, she's in the shower. And I'm like, well, I need to talk to both of you. So of course my dad's like trying to pry stuff out of me. Like, so what's going on? I was like, dad, it's bad. And he was like, well, I mean like how, and I'm like, no, like if you could think of the worst news ever, you're, I'm about to slap it at you. Like, where's mom? And he's, he's like, give her a minute, let her get out of the shower. So they call me back and I'm just like, so Evan, and I say the same exact thing the doctor did. Evan has minkies. M-E-N-K-E-S, it's a copper deficiency, like, he's been tested for this, this is exactly what he has, there's no, like, we don't need a second opinion, like, this is what's going on, and um, he's not getting enough copper in his body, there's no way of changing that, and he'll die at the age of three, and I just remember parents going, okay, let us call you back, and I remember I mean, I could just hear it. Like they were about to fall, like I'm about to do now. Like it's hard. So from there, um, Sam's dad walks in, we tell his dad and he's kind of like, let's get a second opinion. And it was kind of like, it's so hard because it's, you want a second opinion. You want someone to be wrong. Like I've been telling you something's wrong. Finally, you get an answer. And it's like, no, 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 no. I don't want that answer. Like that answer sucks. <laughs> like give me another one. Um, so when we talked about it, it was like, we never, ever, ever, death never crossed our mind, never. And so when you're sitting there going like, what do we do? And I remember a sweet friend of mine had a diagnosis before their child was born and they, um, they carried her to term because they wanted every second every memory they were making memories while she was in utero like and I called her and I said how do I do this how do I plan for a funeral like how did you do this like you knew like how did you I was just trying to wrap my head around it and I remember having Evan in my back seat having her on speaker and her just saying Lauren yours is different than mine you have time she's telling you you have time she's like enjoy the time and I'm like but like, would you, like, and I was so far into it that I'm, like, looking at the end result. So I was, like, let's just do the funeral already. Not do the funeral, but, like, put the funeral together. I didn't want to think about, like, what was going to happen after Evan. I didn't want, I wanted just to be able to just be at peace and have it already done so that whenever it happened, it wasn't, like, we were going to the funeral home because we did that with my mother-in-law even though we knew that she would probably pass. And it was picking out things that I thought were harder because she wasn't there. I thought that whole process was hard. So I'd rather have done it in like chunks while he's still here. So it's not this like wham. 
okay, what casket do you want? It's like, no one wants to think about a casket. Like I just went through a trauma thing. So I remember talking to her and her giving me her perspective of it, which helped me. And then um, going home and I mean, I Googled the snot out of this. I was like, somebody show me something. I want to see a boy that can walk. I can want to see these things. So I'm Googling and it's everything is bad. And it's only like two paragraphs because there's not a lot on it. And it's just, they'll die within the first three years. They'll die the first three years or the first decade of life. And I just remember reading that over and over and over again. And finally, I mean, I'm holding Evan, just sobbing, Googling on my phone, not putting him down. Like it was horrifying. Like the whole thing was horrifying. And I just remember Sam looking at me and going, put the phone down. And I'm like, no, 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 I got it. I got, I have to research this. Like, like me researching, it's going to make Evan better. Like I just needed that control that something was happening. And he just kept saying like, it'll still be there tomorrow. Whatever you're looking for, will still be there tomorrow. Put him down, go to sleep. Like give yourself a break, like just breathe. And I remember the next day, just, I mean, I'm just sobbing. I mean, I'm just so, whatever you can think of yourself going through, it's like 10 times harder because you're like, oh man, I'd be doing this. It's like, no, like everything goes out the door when you're in grief that bad. And with that news and some people are stunned where it takes them a while but at some point you go through this like that anger the all these like little things and you don't know how to put them together and I feel like I did them so fast that like the next morning I remember waking up Sam was making breakfast and I just like I don't want to feel like this anymore I don't want to feel this heaviness anymore like he's here I want to live with him being here I want him like me crying is not helping him like it's going to hurt him. He's going to know his mom as like this crying ball of mess. I wanted, I want this to be a positive thing. I want, and Sam's like, okay, well, let's do it. Like dry up the tears. Let's move forward. And from that day, I was just like, I don't like, let's take one day at a time, step by step. Well, we didn't know that. So that was a Monday. We got diagnosed. Tuesday, he turned six months. And um, we, did a party for him because we weren't sure if he was going to make it. We did all these great things for him. Um, I got a phone call from NIH to go up there for a study for Evan. They were going to get us up there within the week. And I was like, and it was for copper injections. And I mean, they said within the first 10 days of life, and it does, it significantly changes your outcome. But we were six months. So it was, we were going to do it for the next boy. We weren't going to have all these expectations that Evan would be fixed because of this. So um, Wednesday, we go in for our six-month shots to the doctor who never listened to me, who told me that everything was fine. And I told him, like, I'm just dreading this, don't want to go. And before that appointment, we went to see our neurologist who was going to test Evan for his actual mutation. So once we got that back, we could test me to see if I was a carrier. And um, and I remember sitting there with her before getting blood drawn. And I remember saying like, okay, so I'm reading that these kids have seizures. Like what do seizures look like in kids? And she just said, um, I don't know. I don't know what Evans will look like. You'll just know. 
something will look off and you'll just know. And I was, and I laughed. I was like, cool. So I'm going to be sitting here going like, okay, maybe, maybe, maybe not like questioning myself. And then I said, even though we know what we, what we're dealing with, can we, we were going to do an MRI before he got diagnosed. I said, can we still do an MRI just to make sure that like we have a baseline. So like later on, if something happens, we can like have something to reference back. She said, absolutely. So we go to the doctor's office. I'll never forget. And I picked up Sam, went to see the pediatrician and Evan had a seizure right then and there. And um, not just one, not two, maybe seven, like they're all, he was, so he had a seizure, which we didn't know. He had turned blue. Um, I pulled a nurse in. She like, um, brushed his chest to see if he would take a breath. She was like, I don't know what that was. So I bring him into the doctor's office and remember like he's, my doctor is like doom and gloom about what was going on and I want to be super positive. So um, I tell him, I'm like, oh, he raised his head off of my shoulder this week. And he was like, Lauren, he's so bad. He's worse than he was two weeks ago when I saw you last time. And I was like, cool. Now this guy thinks I'm in denial. Like, what are we doing? So we go through the whole thing, find out that he's having seizures, get into the hospital. And then from there, it's like, we're swimming with the sharks. They are trying to get an IV in him. So with minkies, it's also called kinky hair syndrome, which are also like, all the veins are all kinky. So they're all like twisted. They're not the same as normal people. So um, when they were trying to get a vein, he would blow them. And we did this for like maybe an hour and a half. And finally, and we were fortunate enough that the hospitalist that was on, Sam actually knew really, really well from high school and from like growing up. So she knew us beforehand. So it was kind of nice having somebody who we knew and trusted um, to just not like shoot straight at us and not like tell us what we wanted to hear. So um, she brings him into the PICU to get a central line, which I don't know what any of this stuff means, get a central line. So I'm like, okay. So I call my parents, tell them, because my parents don't live here, call my parents, tell them like, hey, Evan's in the PICU. Um, they're going to get a central line and then we'll be back on the floor. Not a big deal. You don't need to come. We're good. And then I remember Sam just being like, you need to tell your parents to come. And I'm like, no, 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 it'll be fine. Like, no, 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 this is, we're going to stay one night. That's what the doctor said. One night to the control of seizures and we'll be home tomorrow. Like, no need to worry him. And then that doctor, the hospitalist comes in and was like, we've been trying to get a central line, can't get one. They're going to give us five more minutes to try getting it. If we can't get it, we're going to go through the bone. And I was like, what? The bone? Like, what do you mean the bone? And she's like, well, essentially what they do is they literally screw a hole in the bone. And I'm like, oh my, I'm like, Ugh. how did we get here? How did we go from a child who everyone said was typical to having seizures and like the worst things happening? So I call my parents back, tell them to come up. Things get way worse after that. I, I just remember the neurologist coming in saying like, hasn't he hasn't had seizures since that morning. Mean, we had seven seizures before getting to the hospital. Even getting to the hospital was hard. The doctor calls an ambulance for us because he's seizing so much. So I finally got the central line and we didn't have to go through the bone. And then 
Um, the neurologist came the next morning and was like, so I've been watching his EEG. It looks great. Like, hasn't had seizures this morning. I want to hold you for another 24 hours just to make sure she came back around like four. It was like from nine to four with no seizures. Like, I really feel like you're going to go home tomorrow. So my mom was like, okay, Lauren, like you need to go home and sleep. And I was like, no, no, no. My son's in the hospital and I see you. Like, I have to be up here. And she was like, no, you don't. Go home. You need to sleep. Like, you need to eat, you need to shower, you need to sleep, or you're, you're going to drain yourself. So I was like, fine. So I left, went home, and I remember standing in my kitchen, and Evan slept in a, in a bassinet or a pack and play in our room. And I just remember, like, dreading to go in our room and just having this, like, gut feeling that something bad was going to happen. And I remember just crying in my kitchen, my mom going, like, what's wrong? I'm like, what happens if he doesn't come home? And she's like, what are you talking about? Like, he had an awesome day today. Of course he's going to come home. Like, everything's going to be okay. And I'm like, what happens if it's not? And she just went, every, she, I remember her looking at me going, everything's going to be okay. And I, like, dreaded going into our room. So my mom slept in bed with me on, like, my side. I slept on Sam's side, my husband's. And like um, six o'clock rolled around the next morning and he, Sam called and was like, you need to come back up here. Like he's smiling, he's alert, he's all these things, which when they, when we got there, they put him on so many medications that like he just zoned out. So when he's saying this, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm like, get up, get up, get up. It's like Christmas. I'm like, get up, come on, we gotta go, we gotta go. Like I wanna see him. And it was probably like, I don't know, like 7.30, 7, 7.30. We walked in and I'm like talking to Evan. He's smiling. And the, the neurologist and the intensivist walk in and their looks on their face is like, <laughs> somebody had like done something to their cereal or like their coffee. Like some, they were just in a really bad mood. So I was like, what? So I was joking. I was like, da, 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 da. Like completely kidding. And they just looked at us and was like, we need to see you guys in the conference room. And I was like, huh? <laughs> and they're like, like right now. And I was like, okay. And they're like talking to my parents, like mom, dad, you guys can come too. And I was like, oh shit. Really? Like, uh, like what else is going to happen? So we get into this conference room. Sam's dad shows up. He's in the conference room with us. So we're like, it's a whole family. So it's me, Sam, my parent, my two parents, and then um, Rick, my father-in-law. And I just remember them going, Evan's been seizing nonstop since about 10.30 last night. Anything from two-minute seizures to 57-minute long seizures. And I was like, what? But he's fine. Like, he's smiling. She's like, I don't know to tell you. He's seizing right now. And he's still able to function. And I was like, huh? And I just remember being like, wait, what? Like, this isn't real life. Like, first, like, I'm still dreaming. Like, this isn't real. And they kept saying, we need to put him in a medically induced coma. We're going to lower him all the way down. Like, so think about a computer. We're going to basically shut off the computer, get it as low as we can, and we're going to reboot it. So hoping that when we reboot, that all of his brain waves will be somewhat back to his normal. And I just remember sitting there going, like, I don't understand if he's seizing. Like, why aren't we doing this now? Like, what does what a medically induced coma look like? So I'm, like, asking questions, like, is he going to die? And I just remember that – I remember them being very puzzled when I asked that question. And they're like, uh – and I was like, what do you mean? I said, 
well, like, is his heart going to stop? And he's like, well, in the 40 years I've been doing this, I've never had someone's heart stop being in a, like, in a medically induced coma. But like, like, I don't, I think they kind of understood that I didn't understand. So then they were like, Lauren, we're putting him on life support. And I was like, uh -huh. I was like, what? And it was like, I mean, you go from a typical kid in their 20s who's never been around medical. I mean, like I was hospitalized a couple of times for dehydration, but like, I don't know what any of this stuff is to being told that your child's going to be basically put close to death as possible to be rebooted and hoping that his brain waves start. It was like, granted, we had just got diagnosed on a Monday. This is Thursday. There's like no time to like even fathom what's going on. And I just remember being. So in four days, your uh -huh. life has completely been like having oh, yeah. no information to now being saturated in a world that you are completely unfamiliar with. But it wasn't even like we had a conversation of like, this is what it is. Here's some time. Okay, now here's all this stuff happening. It was like, we got the information and it was like, boom, 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 boom. I'm like, so I said, like, the, you think the worst thing happened? And it's like, when's the next shoe falling? And it's like, how many shoes do we have? Like, well, why does things keep falling out of the sky? Like, what are we doing? There is so much more to this conversation and we really hope you will listen in tomorrow for the rest of our initial recording as we introduce Evan to the world. Thank you for listening to this episode of We Saved You a Seat. Oklahoma Family Network promotes family-centered care and provides tools so families can make informed decisions, advocate for improved services, build connections among families, and serve as a trusted resource in health care of children and young adults. If you would like to become a supporting family or get in touch with another family, please contact Oklahoma Family Network at oklahomafamilynetwork.org or by calling 405 271-5072.